Thanks for tuning in to the Tiny and Big Podcast. We're a third culture couple sharing insights, one conversation at a time. Take 40. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Tiny and Big. Today's episode I'm actually really excited about. As part of our ongoing effort to normalize talking about things like mental health and therapy uh, as a whole, especially in the Middle East, uh, this episode is going to be about couples therapy. Okay, so as you know, we come from a culture that places heavy emphasis on family and harmony. Relationships are usually really valued and that's why I feel like there's a lot of uh, commotion on marriage and union. So as discussed in previous episodes, if you remember, uh, we talked about how people are really eager to celebrate your wedding day. There's always this like um, momentum around it. As soon as you're born, as soon as you (laughs) enter high school, as soon as you enter university, when you get engaged, it's always the first thing. But, uh, you know, thankfully now, I think there is more flexibility nowadays, uh, especially when, you know, in terms of how you get married, uh, whom you get married to, but still as a couple, there's so much parental influence and cultural expectation about what your relationship should be like. Yeah, and then more than like what your relationship should be like, um, we come from a patriarchal society. So like your roles and your responsibilities in your in your own couple, they're like very defined. There isn't a lot of wiggle room to be creative mm-hmm. um, without receiving a lot of like negative feedback or judgment from other people about what you're doing in your relationship. So how are those roles basically divided between men and women in your opinion? I think from what I've read and like certainly from what I've seen from working with clients and then also talking to other couples like us, something that comes up often is like the division of labor and who should take care of what in the house and who's catering to whose emotional needs. I think there is there's an ongoing negotiation about who that person has to be, especially now that women are joining the workforce and it's more encouraged for them to have a career and they're less likely to be stay-at-home wives. Gotcha. Uh, The other thing is that also men are not encouraged to be very relational in the way that they communicate with with others and the way they go about getting their needs met. So I feel like women carry that burden of being the ones that cater to the needs of everyone and not just their partner, but their family. Think about who caters to the needs of the kids and the parents and the grandparents and all of that. Usually that burden falls on women and I feel like that's pretty sad for men because they don't get to experience what it's like to come from a place of vulnerability and to talk about what they need and what they're feeling emotionally. Hmm. Interesting. And altogether, all of these pressures, like the parental influence, the, the cultural expectations, the gender roles, all of that can make room for a lot of damage in the relationship. And you see this in the way that couples communicate and how they connect and how they coll- collaborate together. And that's why we have couples therapy. I'm wondering, um, aside from what we see in the movies, and you know, as a guy who hasn't practically seen what couples therapy looks like, what have you experienced so far? And, and maybe give us some examples of how it actually can be applied in common issues. So. So one of the most prominent theory, theories or theorists are the Gottmans. So John and Julie Gottman are a couple, and they came up with this theory that's very widely referenced in couples therapy. It's called Gottman's Sound Relationship House. And 
Basically, what it's about, I want you to imagine a house with seven floors. And as cliche as this sounds, I want you to imagine that the pillars keeping this house up are trust and commitment. I'm painting a picture. Can you can you visualize what I'm just saying? Yeah, good to go. Okay, so on the first floor of the house, we have building love maps. Sorry, a love map? Yeah, so a love map, it's okay. Think about basically a blueprint or a roadmap mm -hmm. to your partner's world. And the way you build it is by being, you know, continually curious, taking interest in their world, their history. The point is, is that when you have a detailed understanding of who your partner is, what their dreams, their traumas are, their goals, their ambitions, you then set yourself up to be in a better place to face stressful life events. Right. So like, for example, in our case, one of the, the stressors mm -hmm. could be the pressure of our of our culture and all of those expectations that we were just talking about on marriage you mean yeah and couplehood relationships in general mm -hmm. okay so it, i think i can visualize it i see what we're trying to build but let's say someone is listening to this now how do they go about actually putting this from pen to paper so the way you go about building it is just by being curious and asking questions like questions like which recipe reminds you of home Lasagna. and why <laughs> Um, or maybe questions like, who was your childhood hero? Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> what is your greatest fear? Spiders. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all jokes aside, um, this, is what, this is what goes into building a love map. And I think it would also be important to note that map building is like an ongoing process. And you, it requires regular updates. Continually check in with your partner about these questions. Maybe their dreams or fears have changed over time. Cool. Okay, so then we have the second level. Mm -hmm. And the second level is called fondness and admiration. So now we're on the second level of the house. Yes, now we're in the second level of the house. Cool. So this level, it's more about creating a culture of mutual respect and appreciation. This is something as simple as just saying thank you. Thank you for waiting for me to finish getting ready. Thank you for making time to hang out with my siblings. Um, and it can also be something like complimenting your partner. Again, very small compliments can go a long way. So something like, I really like the way you interacted with my grandfather at dinner tonight, or I really love the way you smile when you talk about food. Sounds good. I think we're making strides. Now, is, it, is there a third level? There's a third level. All right, here we go. Were you not listening in the beginning I, when I said there are seven? No, I was testing you. <laughs> I want to make sure you know Gottman's theory. <laughs> so, the, okay, the third level, it's about turning towards instead of away. So sometimes your partner will verbally or non-verbally make a bid for your attention. The Gottmans found that happy and healthy relationships are the ones where couples turn towards these bids. So they're the ones where your partner will pick up on the cue and then they'll like demonstrate interest in whatever your like the other their partner is saying. They'll engage in conversation. They offer emotional support and empathy when it's necessary. Um, and then they some can, like they can make light of the situation. So basically, if we can summarize this in my language as someone not in psychology, this is basically caring about someone else's interest instead of really shutting it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's really important because if people st aren't able to pick up on these cues and turn towards each other, they stop trying to get each other's attention. They stop showing interest in each other's lives. And then when that happens, you miss out on opportunities to create intimacy. And you, you don't want that. Okay, next. 
fourth floor. Okay, so the fourth floor, it's about, you know, the positive perspective and increasing and savoring positive moments or like positive affect in general. Yes, love this one. All right, so give me examples of what positive affect systems are. So this floor is about activating and increasing positive affect systems. And those systems are like comfort, laughter, interest, adventure, amusement. And those kinds of experiences need to be prioritized in a relationship. Hell yeah, that's my kind of floor for sure. <laughs> and more than that, it's, it's not enough to just create these opportunities where you can have those positive experiences. It's about really truly enjoying those moments when they happen mm -hmm. and then again another layer is like being able to revisit those experiences from your memory and then reminding each other about like good times oh so like a really good example of this is when my visa finally got approved and i was actually able to move to chicago permanently yeah like you and i revisit that memory all the time that was such a good day and we celebrated and mm -hmm. I remember that was a party at the airport. Very stressful for, uh, in, the, in the moment, but, but yeah, a really nice memory. Okay, I get it. Next, is there a... This is a pretty big house, I must admit. <laughs> Are, is it, I mean, it's a mansion by, by this point. Okay, so the next level is managing conflict. And I want you to pay attention to the language because it's not about eliminating conflict. It's just about managing it. So, as you know mm -hmm. from our relationship, that conflict is an inevitable part of every relationship. Of course, I'm always wrong. Good job. Um, but actually, conflict can be quite adaptive. Sometimes, like, it lets us know what's working, what's not. It signals, they signal if things need to change. Um, so it's, again, like I said, it's not about eliminating it. It's about managing it. They actually say that, like, when you choose a partner, you choose a set of problems that you're going to have to live with forever. Gotcha. So anyways, uh, Gottman's research basically identified what he calls the force horsemen of the apocalypse and those are criticism stonewalling contempt and defensiveness none of which you do <laughs> <laughs> okay there <laughs> um but anyways fun fact gottman's research also says that happy couples the the masters of mm. relationships they have a five to one positive to negative ratio for the disasters, it's almost one-to-one. -one. Got it. So the five-to-one would be for... So for every one time someone criticizes the other, mm -hmm. there are at least five positive moments or experiences to, to come with it. Yeah. Gotcha. That's good to know. You highlighted um, the four horsemen. Mm -hmm. Can you elaborate a bit more? So the first horseman is criticism. And that's when you state a problem um, and you frame it as if it's a deficit in your partner's character. And the antidote for that is still by sharing your complaint, but by talking about that problem in terms of how you feel, you know, using I statements, not blaming someone, and, and you know, expressing a positive need. Okay. So I can give you an example. So like, instead of saying, instead of me coming to you and saying, you're a misogynistic prick and you never want to help around the house oh. and all of that stuff, I can come and say, I feel very overwhelmed by the chores and I would really like you to pitch in. You see? Mm -hmm. Like that way, like it's not an attack on you. I'm expressing my need and I'm asking for help. Got it. So the next one is defensiveness, I yes. believe. Yes. Defensiveness right. is the second horseman and it's basically when one party plays the innocent victim or they counterattack without considering the other person. 
And so the antidote for defensiveness is taking responsibility for even a small part of the problem. So if I tell you, I think it's really rude that you were late to dinner with my parents and your reply is, sorry, I was busy in the gym and I'm trying to work on myself. And like, when was the last time you tried to work on yourself? Instead, something that would have been more helpful or productive would be for you to say, you're right. I'll try not to let it happen again. I'm sorry. I was running late. Mm -hmm. Then uh, the third and worst horseman, in my opinion, is contempt. And that's basically when you approach your partner from like a place of superiority and you're like looking down on them and their needs and their accomplishments and their emotions and basically uh, on anything that's important to them. It kind of looks like sarcasm, you know, dismissing them or minimizing Mm -hmm. uh, them or, you know, maybe even insulting them. So what would be the solution for that? So like the solution would be to build uh, a culture of appreciation, respect, admiration, something that we referenced on the earlier floors. Um, I think it would be important for something like this to counteract something like this, um, work on voicing the positive aspects of the person that you are with. Nice. The fourth and the last horseman is stonewalling, and that's emotional disengagement from an interaction. So research shows that when people do this, it's not because they don't care. It's it's just a way to emotionally soothe themselves from an intense interaction or a heated argument. The antidote for this case would be to find a new, healthier way to soothe yourself while still being present with your partner. Better yet, it would be ideal if you could recognize that you're being activated, voice it to your partner, and then have them soothe you. Hmm. So what would some ideas look like? This can be like breathing exercises, uh, saying, voicing like, let's press pause, meditating for a few minutes and then coming back, maybe like holding hands, trying to like calm down your nervous system. Got it. All of that being said, again, I, I feel like it's important to mention that the goal is not to not have fights ever, but being able to process those fights when life happens. So what does that look like? So processing a fight means being able to talk about it without getting back into it. The partners can go back to the incident and take turns talking about their feelings and their needs, what was going on for them during that fight. And then they take turns describing their reality. And then they also validate the other person's reality. They take responsibility. They apologize. They admit their role. And then they find a way to make that that kind of conversation better next time. Okay, nice. So we basically have two more floors left. Uh, what's on the sixth floor? So the sixth floor is pretty simple. It's just about making life dreams come true. And I say it's simple, but it's actually much harder to do. But basically, it's about having conversations with your partner, um, checking in with what their dreams are and what their ambitions are, and then honoring them. Even if it seems like those ambitions or dreams are just causing recurring conflict. I would encourage our listeners to have conversations in depth about those dreams, where they come from, why they're so important, and then find ways that you can support your partner and help them reach those goals. Okay. I really like this one, actually. And I think this is the final one. So, it, yeah, last but not least, this is the, 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 the I guess, the roof. Yeah, the roof. The last level of Gottman's sound relationship house is creating shared meaning. How does one do that? So one of the ways they do that is by building rituals of connections. Um, and I think you remember this from Esther Perel's podcast. 
So a ritual of connection is a way of turning toward one another that each person can count on. Um, there's something very intentional about this. Mm-hmm. So for example, off the top of my head, I can think of like, one of the things that my parents did for us growing up is that they would come up with a scavenger hunt for my sisters and I on January 1st every year. Um, it doesn't have to be something like annually like that. It can be smaller things like having a no screen hour every night where you and your partner or your family can, are, are not on Instagram, you're not checking emails. Basically quality time. Yeah, and you're just present with each other, but it's, it's like a ritual. Yeah, it's like not something you, you do just one time. I mean, the, the content could be different, but the context is the same. Yeah, and it's something, it's dependable, you know what's going to happen, you know that... You take it seriously. Yeah, every day, 8 p.m., yeah. no screens, for example. Mm-hmm. Another way that you uh, create shared meaning is by supporting each other's life roles. It's really important to honor the roles that your partner plays in life, you know, roles like their work careers, their role as a, as a parent, as a brother, a f- philanthropist, a, a leader, uh, an athlete, you know, stuff like that. It's important to think about how do you support your partner? How do you, sh- how do you join them in their role? How do you make them feel appreciated? And what role do you take in complementing their role, whatever it may be? Mm. And I think that's important when in, in our culture specifically because lots of our roles revolve around our relationships. Right. F- like son, father, um, mother, daughter. Husband, wife. Husband, yeah. you know what? So. Well, we're also very relationship-driven as a community, right? Right, so it's really important to think about maybe if I'm uh, upset with you, for example, you I have to think about it's not just the the like our immediate relationship it could be something broader right like work it could be something social it could be something social it's also really important to keep in mind that maybe the way you're behaving now is because you're fulfilling your role as your as a son Mm. to your parents you know what i mean got it and last but not least another the last way to create shared meaning is through shared life goals that's like making plans and problem solving around these plans and then building a home mm-hmm. a- around these around these plans um, like buying your first house would be one of them i guess so like maybe an example would be like if if our shared goal is to live like an authentic meaningful life with a lot of movement and playfulness and curiosity and we also have a strong bond to our community to our culture and to our families so then we, you and I together as a unit would have to sit down and think about how we could organize our lives in a way that honors those goals. Mm-hmm. So maybe that means prioritizing uh, saving money and taking time off so that we can travel. Um, we make room in our life for people to visit us, from, for like our family abroad to visit us. Uh, we hold each other accountable when it comes to movement and physical exercise, you know, stuff like that. Those are our shared goals. Okay, so... Uh- I mean, definitely something more on the macro side that you both agree on, right? In terms of how you want to live your life. Mm-hmm. And then I guess attributing goals and, and maybe priorities in terms of how you actually want to get there. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And that wraps up Gottman's Sound Relationship House. We're done with this all seven actually really floors. interesting, honestly. I've never heard this theory before. And even as you were going through it, I kind of was thinking about how it would apply to us. So... Thank you for sharing. And as always, if you're listening to this and you made it this far, thank you. We appreciate you. And let us know if this was of value or if you think differently. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this valuable, 
please subscribe and feel free to carry on the conversation.